Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years' experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. All righty. Let's, uh, let's rock and So if you want to start with some of the ones in the private chat, I can read them or you can. I'll read them here. All righty. What do admissions committees think of character references? If I know someone at the medical school, such as a student, can they put in a good word for me? <laughs> Dr. Scott Wright, I'm sure you loved those emails and phone calls. <laughs> hey, Dr. Wright, uh, my, my son's best friend is applying to school. They're a fantastic person. You should admit them. Right. Well, you know, I think that, um, interestingly enough, I think that <clears throat> they're, they're – Generally, those things don't work very well. Um, but I, I do say that there, there were times in my experience where particularly if a student came up and sent me an email or, or came to talk to me and, and was, you know, like, hey, um, I have a, a, you know, one of my friends from college is applying this year and just wanted to highlight, you know, their um, application for you. And, and, you know, most of the time it wasn't a pushy, uh, a reference at all, but what just kind of like, Hey, I just wanted you just give you a heads up on, on what this was, what, who this student was and stuff like that. Now that kind of stuff will initiate, or at least it did for me. And I think it's fairly common that it might initiate me at least looking at it and just saying, Hey, you know, who is this person? And, because the student knows the the school and the you know whether or not that particular student would be um, would, would thrive at the institution, uh, et cetera. Now I have uh, on the reverse side of things, I had in the past uh, student where it was the exact opposite, where it was uh, a negative uh, uh, you know, hey, this student is applying and I have real concerns or real questions about their ability to to do well or handle it and again that's not a black ball on them uh at, just in and of itself but it will initiate a little bit of uh further review on my part to look at it and say hey you know kind of do i see anything here i'm not going to take their sort of opinion as as gospel truth i'm going to look at it and kind of evaluate what i think and, and perhaps initiate other depending on what I think to uh, initiate other um, other reviews or something like that. So, you know, I wouldn't say, yeah, move forward if you know somebody at a medical school because, you know, if, if every student in a medical school had two or three friends who well, would just be fantastic <laughs> here, uh, then, um, you know, we would never get anything done. Uh, beyond just looking at those students, and so you know, I I I don't discourage that, but I don't say put don't put a whole lot of uh, of credibility in, in kind of what's going to happen with that. Yeah, well, let, let's expand a little bit on the the negative side of things because this is something that I brought up to you 
relatively recently, um, especially just with the political climate we're in, mm -hmm. there were there was one, one specific pre-med student who I know of who had a, a very what I would say disappointing Twitter account who it, it seemed to be tied to her. It was a, a classmate of hers at a postback program uh, who knew her and knew that this was her account that was a very much conspiracy theory, very much anti-science uh, type type uh, activity on this Twitter account. And I, I went to you, I said, if, if, if you had a student who was accepted to medical school like this student was, would you want to know this? And, and would this potentially change your mind? So for students out there who come across one of their classmates or, or someone they know who, who potentially has some character issues, some, some beliefs that may go against being a good physician, yeah. Yeah. what do you recommend they do in that situation? Yeah, I would say, so, you know, if, if you're, if it's a medical student who has a friend who this, or has an acquaintance who this is, you know, kind of a, the MO for them, uh, then I, I, I'd say reach out to the admissions office at your medical school and just let them know that you've become aware of, uh, of some concerning uh, information with regard to one of the applicants in that. And, and kind of explain to to the to the office your concerns and how you know about this. The the, the problem is when you get this information anonymously, mm -hmm. and that carries no water whatsoever. Uh, you know, an anonymous tip about something. Um, you know, it, it it's you know if you're gonna if you're gonna make a make a comment about somebody, own up to it and say, hey, this is my concern and and so now we would we would sometimes even have um uh anonymous sort of information come into the admissions office either in a written letter or an email from a fake um email account or whatever saying oh we know you have a or i know you have an applicant who is so and so this year and you just need to know this about that applicant and that kind of stuff doesn't go anywhere Good to know. All right, next question here. My pre-med advising office uh, offers letter packets for students applying. Included in the packet is an autobiography written by the student. I'm assuming this is UCF because that's the only one I know who does this. Uh, do admissions committees read these? If I choose to write one, should I have some elements of my personal statement in it, my story, etc.? Thank you. So I, I just know you, UCF does an autobiography, and from, from my understanding, it's only for the admissions, uh, the pre-health office to write your committee letter. That, that's my understanding of what it is. It doesn't go along to the medical schools. But, Scott, are, are you aware of these autobiographies at all? Yeah, there, I have encountered this uh, with a small number of schools uh, over the course of my career, and... Uh, I, the, the admissions offices, uh, have way too much to look at already. They're not going to look at that. Yeah. Uh, they, they already know what's in your application that's standardized to every applicant. So when, in the event that, that an admissions committee gets a letter packet that has some sort of autobiographical sketch or whatever in it, um, the, my experience is we're, we're just going to look at the letters and disregard everything my my hope would be that these offices these pre-health offices would be 
open and honest to the students to say this is going to go to the schools like we're passing this on to the schools so that you know what's going or what's not going yeah yeah i mean i think my experience has been that most undergraduate institutions if they do something like this um which is pretty rare i think but uh they they do let the student know you know what's in the packet and you know that it's going to the medical schools um etc so but again, I think, you know, my opinion is with regard to letter packets and committee letters, et cetera, do whatever your school asks you to do. And if they ask you to do an autobiographical thing, just do it. Uh, you don't want to, you know, worry about getting crosswise with your pre-med office. Um, you don't want to worry about a medical school getting involved or whatever, just kind of do what they ask you to do and let the medical school hash that part out. Yeah, definitely. All right. Uh, next question up is, do you have any advice about the CARS diagnostic tool that AAMC made? I do not. Wow. I, 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 I really I don't, don't either. I wonder if, Rachel, do you have any uh uh, I'm not aware of that specific that. tool, but you guys can hear me, right? Yeah. Um, but I would just say in general, anything from the AAMC is your best source. Right. Um, I mean, it's it's kind of understood without being scientifically proven that they're not perfect either. But, but no practice test is perfect, and nothing's ever going to get better than something from the test writers. Right, right. And, you know, I think any amount of, uh, of uh, extended diagnostical, diagnostic um, assistance that you can get from um, with regard to CARS or, you know, because CARS is that section that just, I think, generally speaking, confounds a lot of pre-med students and, and yeah. they, they struggle on it. Absolutely. So. And I gave the WMC that feedback, um, you know, Years ago, I worked a little bit more closely with them when I was in MCAT prep land because I was lucky enough to be at a company that they um, they wanted to do some some collaboration with. And what that was one of the pieces of feedback I gave them is that students cannot get enough tests and we need more cars. Um, right. I have no idea if my feedback is part of this tool or not, but um, students tend to uh, overlook cars or yep. sometimes, and I'm not speaking to the specific question asker, I'm just talking generally. Um, sometimes people get this idea that like, well, cars can be improved and it absolutely can. It's just a very different skill than the other skills you're employing. So it's easy to think that it's not possible when actually it's just a new challenge and a new skill set to learn. Yeah. Um, but cars will serve you not just on the MCAT, right? It's going to serve you the rest of your life. Yeah. So yeah. I highly recommend cars. Probably. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. Can I can I have my um my my weekly double AMC rant? Uh, they go right ahead. You have the floor. They continue to release new products and services where to apply to medical school to get through this process, you're paying the double AMC a thousand dollars just to to get through, and it, way more than a thousand. I don't know. The thousand is just a minimum barrier uh, to get to get into medical school um, and and they're a gatekeeper that that needs to have their walls blown in so that more students can 
access information and knowledge and and the information necessary to do well on these tests and to get into medical school. So I agree. They, and they speaking new stuff every week, every month, and it's just like they have Vita, they have the new SJT that they're they're going to charge for. They have this yeah. new diagnostic tool. It's just more and more and more and more and more. Yeah, we should be figuring out ways to streamline it, not complicate it. Um, and speaking to someone who's been you know around test prep of many forms for a couple decades now, um, it's not just the AMC. Um, educational testing services, which puts out um, the SAT and the GRE and used to put out the GMAT before the GMAT left and joined the ACT company. Um, they've got a long history of like there's a for-profit division and a non-profit division and the lines are kind of shady. And um, honestly, in the grand scheme of testing companies, the WMC is one of the more high integrity ones, which I know is a weird thing to hear given how frustrated everybody's been for the last year. Um, those of you that follow me on Twitter know that I just like, periodically like to reply to them and ask them when they're moving the MCAT online. Um, <laughs> but um, but yeah, there's there's a lot of improvement that needs to happen around the way we give both exit and entrance exams when you're going from one stage of schooling to the next. Yeah, agreed. All right. And rant. Uh, speaking of another test prep product, um, should I study for Casper? Um, so Casper, if you don't know, it's a situational judgment type test uh, created by Altus Assessments, which uh, Scott and I, do we have to have disclosures? We spoke at the Altus Assessments conference in 2019. Correct. Um, uh, the uh, Altus, the, the team of Altus from McMaster, the, the same beautiful minds that created the multiple mini interview, um, they just love to come up with new forms of torture. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, it, it's, it's something that a lot of schools are using either in replacement of a secondary or in addition to a secondary, and every school is using them a little bit different in terms of mm -hmm. how they're how they're adding it to their admissions process. So mm -hmm. with that said, uh, premedyears.com slash 303 is a, an interview that I did with Dr. Kelly Dore of Altus Assessments, one of the creators of Casper and the MMI. Go listen to that. Uh, my personal take is that you just need to understand Casper and takecasper.com has a practice test on there so you can learn the layout, learn how the, the website works. It's something you take at home. You need to have a webcam. Uh, this is top of mind for me because I just reworked my, this chapter of my book because I had to add the AMC SJT. Um, but, but usually Casper is not something you have to study for. Just kind of understand it and um, that's it. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I think uh, <laughs> speaking of AMC, I think AMC has been pissed at cast for people money. for yeah right <laughs> yeah they're like you can't take money from our students so we're gonna, we're especially you. especially since you're from canada <laughs> you're not even so, taking the same money yeah. Ugh. yeah all right uh and last question here uh before we jump to live questions i was a student athlete at ucf and in my sophomore year my science gpa took a huge dive I graduated in May of 2020 and continued school with a do-it-yourself postback to continue my upward trend. I have one semester with a 375 science GPA, and the following four semesters are all A's. This will bring my science GPA up to a 3.3, my cumulative 3.6. Considering everything else is good in my application, is this upward trend good enough? 
So one semester, 375, and the four following semesters, all A's, 4.0. Sounds good to me. Yeah, I mean, the questioner doesn't tell us how many hours uh, that they were taking in those semesters. And so my assumption is there's, you know, that there's, hopefully that means they're full-time semesters, which I would recommend. <laughs> three, three credits each semester. Yeah, so, I mean, that that's a little bit, I mean, I'm, my assumption is that they were, studying full-time but you know that may not be a good assumption but i definitely think the post-bac hours are going to help uh the the schools are going to focus in on those post-bac on the post-bac gpa and uh depending on how what they're looking for in terms of the number of hours they want to see in a post-bac gpa to make it credible for them to to, to work with um, so the the question being considering everything else is good in my application, is this upper trend good enough? Now, the, it's the two words, good enough. And <laughs> the question being good enough for what? You know, is, is uh, you know, yeah, well, we don't really know anything about their clinical hours or shadowing or activities. We don't know anything about the MCAT. So there's a lot of holes here that we don't really know anything about in this question. Uh, if the if the issue is just, if the, if the question is just a surrounding um, academic work, then it may it may be good enough uh, that you know it's, it sounds like five semesters uh, with with some level of, of work uh, at a, at a pretty strong uh, pretty strong level. So yeah, I mean I, I think probably that's good enough uh, in terms of that part of the application. Definitely. All right. We've got a bunch of questions here. Yeah. Stop. Stop. Awesome. awesome. <laughs> Was that me? No, Ryan and I were doing the like the oh. simultaneous click. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> I'm going to let you produce. I'm just going to hold my hands here. My spouse is a resident dermatologist, and I'm curious how much I should discuss or avoid in telling my story. Wait. My spouse is a resident dermatologist, and I'm curious how much. I should discuss or avoid in telling my story. I'm leery to make it sound like I'm just doing this because she did, but have lots of exposure to the process and physician life. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. So getting to the seed. Is your seed yeah. that your spouse is a dermatologist, a resident, uh, or did your seed happen before that and she just happens to be a dermatologist as well? Yeah. So the the personal statement in my mind is is a weak personal statement if you say, I want to be a physician and my exposure to medicine is I get to see my what wife. life is like through my wife or my yeah. spouse. Yeah, right? that's that's weak. Um, yes. Why why did we both kind of assume that resident dermatologist equals wife? <laughs> well, because it, she oh, says she. she. Yeah, it says she. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Uh, so so yeah, so I think um, that's that's definitely not a strong connection yeah. to to say I, I get to see what it's like, therefore um, and, and it goes to a very common mistake that students make, in my mind, in their personal statement is, I know what medicine is like, therefore, I'm ready to be a doctor. A right. lot of students make their personal statement argument around that fact. And yeah. it sounds like this student wants to make it around that fact, fact a little bit, too, because they say right at the end, I have lots of exposure to the process and physician life. Therefore, I should be a physician, too. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things where <clears throat> this is why we <clears throat> we talk about clinical experience and shadowing, mm -hmm. getting those experiences for yourself, 
because taking care of someone is different than your wife talking about taking care of someone mm-hmm. later on. So right. you got to be careful with that. I agree with that completely. It's, uh, I, I mean, I think that I, I don't think that you have to avoid discussing it or telling, you know, but I do think you have to tell your story, not her story and not your story related to her story. It has yeah. to be a, a story that is in and of itself yours and compelling to say there is a seed here. There is an, a genesis to where this um, initial spark came from, and it wasn't just uh, my wife. Yeah. Um, now, if it was just your wife, you know, if that's the reality, that you never had an interest in medicine up until the point that your wife started going through all this, then you got some building around that skeleton to do in terms of getting experience in and of yourself and, uh, you know, doing the work to, to really show the medical schools that, that it, it isn't just the fact that it's your wife, but, or, or someone related to you, uh, wife in this, in this question, but, uh, yeah. but you have to kind of build, build your own story and it can't be, can't revolve around somebody else. Yeah. There's, there's not much difference between this versus a child growing up with a parent who's a physician. Right. right. You're still getting that kind of secondhand exposure, but there's still that own story that you have to build for yourself. And so just right. make sure that you're telling that story. And then this is just a, I never really thought about it until I saw how much fun she was having. And then I went and did all this other stuff. Exactly. It's the other stuff that's important. Right. Definitely. Always the other stuff. All right. <laughs> right. I'm not I'm not doing anything, Rachel. You go. <laughs> <laughs> I was not close with any professors, unfortunately, in undergrad. I am close with supervisors at my valet job as well as managers, doctors at the hospital I work with uh, work at as well. Is it okay if my letters of rec are from supervisors that can speak well of me, but nothing from educators? Thank you. I'm also shooting for three LORs. Yeah, so the 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 simple answer here is no. That's not going to work. Um, now, you, you know, I I think there's a lesson here, and what we don't know is some details about this particular questioner about how long they've been out of school and some stuff like that that could be relevant to uh, to this answer. But what I'm going to hone in on here is the the very first phrase here of this question. I was not close with any professors, unfortunately, in undergrad. That is your mistake. You have to initiate contact with professors. You have to become close with them. It doesn't mean that you have to be their favorite student or whatever, but you have to get to know them, go to their office hours, uh, stay after class, ask questions, be, be curious. Uh, get you, no, don't show up to their house. <laughs> yeah, no, right. Uh, but, you know, it, this is the responsibility of students uh, to, to, to do this and to make the effort. It's harder at some institutions than it are, is at others. I get that. Um, but you can't just say, oh, well, I don't know anybody. So can I just have, you know, uh, this person or that person that know nothing about me uh, academically or intellectually uh, or very little about me in, the, in those regards. And so uh, I, I just don't think that works, generally speaking. I think you have to have uh, a, couple of, uh, a couple of academic letters that really address your ability in the classroom, your curiosity in learning, uh, the, 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 the things that are really 
academically centered because you have to keep in mind medical school is school, just like undergraduate school. Med school is school. And so what you want is somebody uh, or a couple of people to address how are you as a student? How are you in the classroom? Are you curious? Are you, you know, a whiz at this stuff? Are you, you know, just the sort of lay of the land in terms of what academics looks like for you? And uh, if you don't have that, that can be a, a, be a whole. And honestly, um, a, a medical school could look at you and say, we're not going to we're not going to deal with this student anymore because or this applicant uh, any longer because they, you know, they're they're not engaged in the process of, uh, of learning. Apparently they go to class, they do school and then they leave. Yep. Yeah, I think the. Um the, the easy answer to this is it depends on the medical school and the requirements yep. that they have set for letters of recommendations. But in general, this, that, that won't work. And, and again, going back to what you mentioned, how, um, how long have they been out of school, et cetera. It looks like they graduated in 2018 and are currently in a post-bac. I'm assuming that's the same student. Uh, if that's the case, they, they still have an opportunity to get some letters from their post-bac professors. So yep. Yep. That, that will definitely help. Yep, absolutely. But again, the student has to initiate that. You can't depend on the professor yeah. initiating it. Yeah. If I'm taking a gap year, should I ask for my letter of rec after I take the class or when I'm applying? Ooh, I like I like this answer. Um, I'll, I'll start with this one. So I am a fan of setting expectations. Yep. Uh, the ideal is that you have a letter of recommendation that is dated the year that you are applying um, <laughs> so that you didn't take a class five years ago and the the letter writer says back in 2015 the student was great in 2016 now at this point um, and so what you can do if you're not planning on applying the that year that you're interacting with the professor is you let the professor know hey hey uh professor smith uh, I'm applying to medical school after my gap year. I would love to stay in touch with you throughout my gap year, let you know what I'm up to. Yep. I really enjoyed the class with you. Um, is is it okay if I keep in touch with you? And when the time comes, ask uh, for a letter of recommendation. Absolutely. Set that expectation. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And they can say yes, no, maybe so. And go from you know, and I think my experience is that most professors are going to be sure. That sounds good. Just, uh, you know, update me uh, every now and then about what's going on and when you need when you need stuff from me. And uh, they're, they're very, uh, you know, I think most faculty members at universities and colleges are willing to to work with students and, and, and they, they have a desire to help out the student as much as they can. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I think a lot of students fear that they're the first student ever to ask for a letter of recommendation <laughs> right. from this professor. Right. I, I think the assumption should be that they understand that this is a part of their job. This is yeah. not this is not some weird request that you're making. You're the first person ever that's applying to medical school that they've interacted with. Uh, and it's just part of their job and, and you're just the next student to ask. Right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so having not been a professor, but having been a manager or MCAT tutors for so long, that was part of my job too. You know, when, <clears throat> you know, some, I'm losing my voice, sometimes schools want all academics, sometimes schools want a mix of academic and professional. And for the professional cases, I wrote a lot of letters um, 
and yeah, I mean, there were definitely people who did multiple gap years and maybe only worked for with me for a little bit. And the savvy ones were emailing me every six or nine months, just, you know, hey, Miss Rachel, I just wanted to tell you I'm out in Utah now and still thinking about med school next year. And, you know, like just, you know, three line emails yeah, to make sure that. Mm -hmm. that I still had a face with the name in my brain. Yep. Um, and and yeah, I mean, I, I wrote a lot of letters. It goes with the gig. Yeah. Yep. Agreed. Yes, it does. All right. What's next? Hello. So through a class at my university, I was assigned to shadow an attending neurosurgeon for 20 plus hours. However, he would only do the first cut and then let the residents do the rest of the surgery. <laughs> and he'd go see other patients and leave me in the OR to watch the surgery. So would I also add the residents or just the attending physician for my shadowing? <sighs> gotta love, gotta love attendings. Uh, <laughs> doing sketchy stuff. Anyway, um, the the attending, the attending is who you shadow. You don't shadow the residents. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so just keep that on the download. <laughs> the attending disappeared. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I agree with that. Mm. I yeah, agree and, with and just that. to expand on that, right? Because a lot of students ask. Uh, can I shadow a resident? Can I shadow a fellow? And and technically, the the kind of rule of thumb is you shadow attendings. That that's mm -hmm. who you want to be shadowing. You don't want to be shadowing uh, just because kind of the idea behind the whole thing is you're understanding what a day in the life is like of a physician, what their duties are, what they're required to do, what they're doing when they're not seeing patients, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And a resident or fellow is someone who's in training. So it's like you're following them at school, and it's just mm -hmm. uh, on on the kind of the the uh, the outside looking in it looks the same but it's technically not yeah and and i would say that it uh to, to add to that a little bit i do think that um you want people who know you well and uh, who can really address uh and so a, a good example of this back in you know in in the undergraduate experience is you your um uh, you know, you're do, you're getting a letter of recommendation from a TA or a lab instructor, uh, as opposed to the actual professor of the uh, of of record in the class, and you really want somebody who's going to uh, know you well and stuff. And so, um, you know, I think the experience with a resident or a fellow, if that's who you're shadowing. You know, I think that's a, 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 an issue that you need to kind of deal with in and of itself. But I and, and, and you need to talk about what that experience was like and your recognition that they are a fellow or they are a resident and what that means about your experience with them, uh, et cetera. You know, so, you know, just stuff like that um, so that um, when you get that letter of recommendation, they know um, that, that, you know, you know what's what's going on but uh i definitely think that you have to um you know know who you're shadowing and know what's what the situation is with that particular student or, or that particular physician etc so that you can illustrate well in your application that i shadowed a resident i get it that they're a resident that that means certain things and you know blah 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 yeah. all right 
Next up, will admissions committees look down on my upward trend with classes being online or hybrid? My upward trend started only one semester before the pandemic. Wow. There's no other choice, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. There, yeah, I, I think I think there. This is a day of reckoning for admissions committees to to really do a a deep look inside of themselves and uh, and try to try to overcome some of these biases that have taken hold for a yeah. long time. That yeah. online classes are horrible and too easy or whatever. So right, uh, I, I think it'll be very interesting moving forward. But at the end of the day for this student there's there's no other choice unless yeah. you decide to go back to online if it's online or not online if it's in person full time and then just repeat all the same classes or or yeah. take much more classes at, and uh more money to to spend for all of that um, yeah i i you know i agree with that because the, the the question here will admissions committees look down on my upward trend with classes being online so what if they do what what are you going to do about that? There's nothing you can do. You have to just put what you've done out there and let it yeah. stand on its own. I don't think that admissions committees are going to look down on it, particularly within the context of the pandemic. But, you know, some may be hard nosed and really, you know, continue to, to hold the line on that. My suspicion is that most of them are going to be pretty forgiving uh, on, uh, on online and hybrid stuff. So. I will add as a quick note um, on the map side of this question, we're working on trying to collect that data whenever it's been announced by schools, um, which, you know, not all schools are going to put out a firm policy and it's very early days. So, um, you know, at some point we'll have 200 odd pieces of data, whether that's a no comment or a we're okay with online now and we'll upload it to map. Um, hopefully that'll happen in the next, you know, I don't know. What do you think, Ryan? Three, four weeks? Sure. Um, soonish, um, <laughs> uh, but but yeah. One thing that impressed me when I was doing some of the original research was that Hopkins, who has long said no to online, is now saying we understand it's okay, and they've made it retroactive. So they're not just making it okay for people who took online during spring 2020 when it might not have been a choice. They're saying if we say online is okay, then it's always okay. Um, and, you know, will that be permanent or is that just going to be until they get through the pandemic? I don't know. Right. They they and that's one school. It's just one school. It's just an anecdote. Yeah. Um, but it was an impressive one to me because they're, you know, have pretty firm policies. Yeah. 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 Good, good so I think them. we can be hopeful. Yeah. yeah. It's always good to be hopeful. <laughs> it's hard these days. Uh, next question here. I took all my prereqs in community college from uh, 2011 to 2013, transferred and finished undergrad with a bio degree in 2016, have a good science GPA, and recently took the MCAT in 2020 and did okay. Would my prereqs consider, considered expired, outdated since it's been 8 to 10 years? Should I contact each medical school to make sure I don't have to retake any of them? <sighs> yes. <laughs> yeah, short answer, yeah. Yeah. Yes, they could be expired. Yes, you should reach out to schools. Mm -hmm. um, technically, nothing expires, but medical schools may have a policy that they, they want newer stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I think the biggest concern here, even if the even if um, they don't officially say they expire or whatever, uh, is that it's been five years uh, since you've been in the classroom. Yep. And uh, that can be, you know, problematic depending on what you 
do outside of the classroom if you're working or whatever. But um, it's been five years since you've been in an academic setting and schools may question, do you um, still, you know, have the, 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 the sort of understanding of the academic environment? Do you get, uh, did, you know, do you still have good grasp on, on study skills, on, uh, you know, that kind of stuff? So uh, I, I think that it's much more nuanced than just, okay, they expire after X number of years. And so I think that the medical schools, when they're looking at applicants, are going to want to see some recent coursework that shows that, you, that you're a good student. Is there a big difference among four-year college, senior college, and university? What? I don't know any of those differences. Is there four a big difference? Senior college and university. Well, mm. what is senior college? As opposed to junior college. Oh. No, yeah. there's not a big difference. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, those feel to me like somewhat out of date or like international terms. Yeah. Like I don't I don't feel like we necessarily use that language very much anymore in American K through 20 education. Yeah. The the general language around around these parts um, is, is <laughs> community college, right? Is 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 even mm -hmm. is even losing its its cachet. And a lot of a lot of the the junior colleges, community colleges, are now just being called colleges, mm -hmm. uh, and you don't really know that they're a, a junior college or a community college. Um, and then, usually, the the language here is there are colleges within the university, right? Um, and so there's Harvard University, and Harvard College is one of the colleges within Harvard University, um, right. and among other colleges. So. Uh, it's it's a weird little language thing that we have here, but it, like the general term university, to to consider anything kind of post secondary. Yeah. So interesting language. Mm -hmm. Senior college, learning something new. <laughs> yeah, there there used to be uh, just as an aside, there used to be. Uh, institutions that were senior only. They didn't. They didn't enroll freshmen or sophomores. They only enrolled juniors and seniors, and then yeah, had graduate. Probably work. that language that he's. Yeah, that's, that's it's a holdover from that. That's very unusual these these days. Yeah. Um, not, that's not would not be typical. Well, it's because they realize that they can make money all four years instead. Right. Of exactly. <laughs> Golly, yeah. Ryan, you're gonna <laughs> tear today tonight. <laughs> uh, and, and senior college is different than seniors college, right? And that's where you go to school, Scott, is, is seniors college? <laughs> I cannot believe you just said that. I cannot believe. I'm, I'm out of here. Ageism. <laughs> that's not ageism. That's oh, joking. yes, it is. <laughs> One, no, no. he's not a senior. That's right. Two, they call them adult learning institutions. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Thank you, Rachel, for having my back. Okay. Um, <laughs> I was feeling snappy. I had to sn show my snaps. Uh, here's a good question. Is a committee letter preferred more than personal letters? So the, the, the short answer to this is if your institution does a committee letter, do the committee letter. 
And uh, if your institution doesn't, then do you you do the, the 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 individual letters? But if if you have a committee at your school, then do it. Do whatever they do whatever they ask you to do. Yeah. And the longer answer is, if you have some sort of conflict with your committee, if there's something else, you can go get personal letters, and then potentially yeah. you may have to explain why you didn't get a committee letter. Mm -hmm. Or they may, you know, the, the medical school, I've, I've seen it before. The med school calls up the undergrad institution and says, why didn't this student have a community letter? Yeah. Yeah. Now, I have heard some students, I haven't heard this from advisors, but I've heard some students say that their schools limit um, committee letters to certain stats. Yep. So, you know, if you're someone who has a great upper trend but not a stellar cum. You know, there might be some instances where maybe you don't qualify for the committee letter. Right. Um, and yeah, I wouldn't say that's the end of the world. It's just, you know, it's. Yeah, uh, I guess what it is. Right. I mean, and Dr. Wright, I, I love the way you often put things in the frame of optimal, you know, acceptable. acceptable. Yeah. Not acceptable. Right. Optimal is committee letter, but. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But acceptable is individual letters. Okay, so a follow-up from our person who is asking about the different um, post-secondary institutions. The root of that question is, so is it okay to do prerequisites in any of those institutions? So the, this is a more complicated answer than I think you would want it to be necessarily, but it depends. It depends on your, you know, your situation. It depends on... Um, you know, I, I think that optimally, uh, you know, uh, you would do it at the, do your prerequisites at the institution where you're going to get your degree. Um, now, if you, you know, there are students who do community college first and then uh, transition from community college on to, to the university setting. And, uh, and that's, you know, acceptable and stuff. But, you know, again, um, the, the, the community college, all of these all of these levels of institutions are accredited. As long as the institution is accredited, then you're you're safe that this that the courses are going to be acceptable and are going are going to work. Now, whether or not that's going to be uh, the optimal setting for you to take any or all of those classes in depends a little bit on. Uh, a little bit deeper work in, in terms of understanding your story and and you have to do well at all levels of, of your institutions that you're going to, et cetera. So it's a little bit more complicated than that. But on face value, yes, you can do those anywhere and they'll meet the prerequisites. I hope I didn't confuse the person with all that. Nah. <laughs> Whoever you are, I'm sorry if I confused you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we've got one that I can't put up because it's uh, the person's name is showing. Yeah, you want to read it? Yeah. Is it okay to talk about research in my personal statement, especially since I want to continue that in medical school? How detailed should I be? So, wow. I'll I'll lead this one since I I wrote the book on it, <laughs> and then and then Scott, you can give me your thoughts since you don't mm -hmm. have to always agree with me. Um, <clears throat> In, in my mind, the personal statement is why do you want to be a physician, not what do you want to do as a physician, which this question is kind of leaning towards of saying, I want to continue research in medical school and, and likely beyond. 
Um, in, in my mind, when a student focuses on research in their personal statement, that probably tells me that they're lacking clinical experience um, or they're trying to highlight research because they think it's the best thing in, in the world and better than everyone else um, and they want to do research later on. Um, in my mind, it's a distraction from the personal statement. The, the goal, again, of the personal statement is why do you want to be a, a physician? And research, you don't have to do research to be an amazing physician. Uh, you don't have to do research in medical school, uh, in, in residency, et cetera, um, to be an amazing physician. If you want to do research, great, but that, in my mind, doesn't need to be in the personal statement, and that's what your extracurricular activities are for. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that. Uh, generally, I, I don't think it's bad necessarily to mention it in your personal statement as a part of the personal statement as a part of the, you know, for, for example, you, the, the questionnaire doesn't really talk about whether it's basic science research or clinical or some sort of transitional translational uh, research that, that they're doing or, or whatever. They don't really go down that road, but uh you know, so it, it, in my view, it would depend a little bit on what they're doing, what kind of research it is, and how it relates back to why they want to be a doctor. And uh, if, if, if there's a, a storyline there that makes sense, that really perpetuates these notions of, I want to be a doctor because I want to do X, Y, and Z, and because the bigger picture is, is ABC or whatever, if that fits together with the uh, research part, then, then I think it's acceptable. But I, I agree with Ryan that that the largest part of your personal statement really has to be focused on clinical medicine and, and why you want to be a physician. If, you're, if it's all about research, then you really want to uh, examine uh, more about should you be applying MD-PhD or should you be you know, going down the, just the PhD route uh, in and of itself, but um, but I agree that it's the extra it's the uh, activities descriptions is where uh, you want to put most of those uh, um, most of the information about the research that you're doing. No. When evaluating professors for my letters of recommendation, should I take into considering where they received their degree from? No. No, it's, it's a very common question that a lot of students will chase a letter from someone who has a name, someone who's from that prestigious institute, versus someone who knows you better. And mm. Always, always, always go for someone who knows you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we'll write you a very strong recommendation. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. may know you and hate you. Don't, don't go for them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you don't want that. <laughs> you know, that's very rare. I mean, I, I could count probably on one hand the number of times I've seen a letter that was just uh, a really, like, that's very... vindictive. Yeah, yeah. If, if you're going to do that, then you need to go back to the student and say, I cannot, yeah. in good conscience, write you a, a letter, and you probably should ask somebody else. Yeah. Sure. Um yeah, and I've, I mean, I've done that. I've told, I've advised people to consider not asking me, like, are you sure you want, I'm going to be honest. Um, yeah. um, but, you know, there's a saying, and I don't know, maybe there's a more polite way to say it, but damning with faint praise. Um, and, and Scott, I know you've said that it's almost like a bell curve, like the, the majority of them are fine. 
you know, yeah. they're just fine. So they're yeah. not amazing yeah. or, or weak. And, you know, we already talked this hour about sometimes it's hard to really form a relationship with that professor. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's as good as it can be because it's as well as they know you. Um, but if, if you've got the choice between someone who knows you really well and thinks you're amazing, but went to Ohio State like I did, <laughs> or someone from Harvard who doesn't seem to like you much, I mean, I might be biased, but I would say you're picking me, you know, yeah. like, pick the yeah. strong recommender, per pick yeah. the person who can communicate well and communi will communicate positively about you. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. Uh, looks like we got time for one more. Yeah. This is a pretty easy one. Are there any public DO schools? Yes, there are seven, yep. according to the Choose DO Explorer. Mm -hmm. Two uh, in my state. Yeah, you got Michigan State University College of Osteopathic Medicine, Ohio University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine, Oklahoma State University yep. College of Osteopathic Medicine, Rowan in New Jersey, Sam mm -hmm. Houston State, which is one of the new ones in Texas. Yep. Um, UNT, which is one of the other new ones in Texas, and uh, West Virginia School of Osteopathic Medicine, all yep. public. Yep. Yep. And those two in Texas are applications through TMDSAS. That's correct. Not That's correct. And Incarnate Word uh, is private. Is private word. And goes through Acomas. Word. 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 Incarnate uh, word. Goes through uh, Acomas. Yep. To add to yep. the confusion. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> awesome. All right. Another awesome episode in the books. Woohoo. Um, thank you all for being here. Uh, go play with Mapped and, and the new application features in there. Uh, again, just the beginning of those as we add more to, um, to that. Uh, this week, we're doing a little mini push to get more... Uh, more data that we can give you feedback on. So, so stay tuned for that as well. Yeah. Right. Any other parting words of wisdom? Go dogs. No, go Gators. Get out of here. Go, what, what is go dogs? University of Georgia. <laughs> are we talking basketball now or what, what are we no, talking about? No, it's just about? someone that, that throws a little jab in there for some reason. Oh, so oh okay. okay. Be wrong, I'm like, okay. I'm totally confused here. <laughs> <laughs> the rivalry never ends. It's, it's, it's always, it's always uh, available for a jab. Well, anytime anybody wants to debate Star Trek versus Stargate, they're in. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Nerd alert. Yeah. On that note, we love you, everyone. Good Bye. night. This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.